Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the Health Trip Podcast. It never gets old talking about women's health. I'm one of you. I'm on the same journey. I am trying to optimize my overall health and wellness, and I'm in my mid-50s, and I have a vision of what it, what I want my life to look like when I'm in my 80s and 90s, and so I pivot my lifestyle every day into a direction that supports that greater goal of mine. I want to be strong. I want to be vibrant. Vibrant. I want to be able to go on vacations that require me to be on my feet all day and sightsee or take a uh, challenging hike or off-road bike riding. I want to go to the farmer's market and walk home with my groceries in my 80s feeling strong that I don't need any assistance carrying anything. I want to be able to get on the floor when I have grandkids so that um, I can play with them. And I have five kids. So the chances are is that I'm going to have a lot of grandkids and there's going to be a lot of up and down for me, picking up, putting down, getting on the floor, crawling around with them and just overall playing and having fun. So today we're going to be focusing on osteoporosis in midlife women. And one of the things that I require my midlife women clients to do is go get a DEXA scan. And while most doctors think you need to wait until you're 65, I'm in the belief that you want to get that into your upper 40s and for sure at 50 to just check in and see what your baseline is before you possibly go into menopause um, and before it's too late to really turn it around. So a density, um, a DEXA scan measures bone density, both the thickness and the strength of the bones by passing a high and low energy x-ray beam, a form of radiation that is not harmful through the body. And the report gives my clients all this valuable information beyond the bone density, right? It also measures your body composition. So what's your body fat percentage? What's your visceral fat level Um, and other metrics? So then they can use this data to make decisions on diet, lifestyle, supplements, medical intervention if needed, and they can plan and pivot their lifestyle in this direction that's going to support their goals. So today we are focusing um, on what's called the silent disease because you can't feel osteoporosis. You can't feel your bones getting weaker. The National Osteoporosis Foundation offers these facts. One in two women will break a bone due to osteoporosis after the age of 50. A woman's risk of fracture is equal to her combined risk of breast, uterine, and ovarian cancer. 24% of hip fracture patients age 50 and over die in the year following the fracture. And that's astonishing. A bone density test is the best way to diagnose osteoporosis and determine a treatment plan. They recommend you get this test at 65, which I said earlier, when most health insurance companies will cover it. But honestly, the test is about $75 to $100, maybe less in your area, maybe a little bit more, but so worth the spend. A PubMed publication stated that women are most likely to be diagnosed with osteoporosis 10 to 15 years post-menopause, which would make them about 65. And at that point, treatment will be a Band-Aid. It certainly won't be preventative. Some of my midlife clients have discovered that they have osteopenia while working with me because I encourage them to get checked. They're in their 40s, they're perimenopausal, and could you imagine if they had waited another 20 years to get checked? 
My guest today is a bone health and menopause expert who's going to break it all down for us. And it's definitely a topic that is not talked about enough until it has to be, which is often too late. Dr. Christy DeSapri is a board certified internist specializing in midlife women's health. After fellowship training at the Cleveland Clinic, she has worked in private practice in academic medicine for over 13 years, including being the director of the Northwestern Women's Bone Health Program at the Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause at Northwestern Medicine in Chicago. She is currently opening Bone and Body Women's Health, a concierge midlife women's health practice in the Chicago area, focused on consultation and management of perimenopause, menopause, osteoporosis, and sexual health. A little medical disclaimer before we dive in. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. And this entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back, open your minds, and let's dive into osteoporosis. Hi, Dr. DeSapri. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. I am so glad to have you here today. Oh, Jill, thanks for the invitation. Me too. So I have not covered bone health at all on my podcast, and you are the perfect guest to have for this. So before we dive into some of these amazing questions, can you just share with us a little bit of why you love bone so much, how your journey of becoming a doctor led you to focusing on bones? Yes, I love that is a fun question, and I don't usually get asked that. So from the outset. So, you know, I um, have a real a unique background that I am a board certified internist, um, but I actually started my career in OBGYN um, and God bless those OBGYNs, but I uh, like to deliver babies, but wanted to take care of women more from, you know, through their lifespan and, and through their reproductive journey. So um, I uh, became an internist and then I completed a fellowship um, at the Cleveland Clinic, which was a two-year fellowship in sort of menopause, osteoporosis management, breast health, urogynecology, everything that doesn't fall neatly into internal medicine and gynecology. And that's where I found, I saw a lot of women, you know, and menopause and beyond who, you know, really osteoporosis was sort of something that people, most of the, you know, healthcare professionals weren't really that interested in, um, you know, whether it was an endocrinologist or an internist or an OBGYN, you know, the world of bone health was kind of evolving. We had some new prescriptions coming out. Um, the area, the science of DEXA was sort of being, um, you know, understood a little bit better. So I sort of became an apprentice um, in the world of bone health and really followed radiologists, endocrinologists, rheumatologists, and then just um, jumped in myself when I had my first uh, position and my first, you know, real job um, outside of fellowship and uh, started a bone health program within a gynecology practice to really help um, you know, the gynecologist felt like, oh, it, this is kind of eclipsing us and we know we need to take care of our patients better. And I um, said, this is a great opportunity for me. And I really, um, you know, have done that a couple of times now and really understand how much, you know, goes into that, both the diagnosis of osteoporosis, correctly diagnosing the osteoporosis, making sure that patients understand what that means, preventing osteoporosis and then treating osteoporosis. So, and then just through my 12 year post, you know, fellowship career, really just this is a field that's very fun. The people in it, like I said, are multidisciplinary and are just lovely. Um, right after this, I'll, I'll listen to some uh, and contribute to a bone echo, which is uh, 
nationwide and even worldwide uh, professionals uh, and clinicians who we share cases, we do lectures, I've given a couple of those. And so it's a really fun um, group of dynamic uh, people really focused on um, you know, osteoporosis and then the patients that we can treat. Wow, so much to unpack there. But I think when before we start talking about all the things surrounding bone health, let's just understand what the bone is made of. And there's these three uh, terms, these words that I think women need to know, and we don't know them. And it's osteoblasts, osteocytes, and osteoclasts. And why should we know what these are? And I know these are, you know, medical words, medical terms, but I, I feel like women, especially my age in our mid fifties, we need to know what, what is the function of bones? How are they made? And how is all of this connected to our overall health and wellness? Yeah. And that's so that's such a good question because we do talk so much more in midlife about cardiovascular disease uh -huh. and breast health. But bones, again, we don't feel, right? Unless, you know, we remember back in our youth and people have a fracture or they have a stress fracture, or maybe your parent has osteoporosis, or maybe you've, you know, learned heard something, May is Osteoporosis Awareness Month. But to answer your question, so bones are important. They not only are the structural support for our spine, uh, for our um, protect our internal organs, um, but they also have a large reservoir for calcium, phosphorus, um, other proteins. Um, so they're really very metabolically active and, and always changing and dynamic. And so the cells that you talked about are inside the bone cells. And we actually have two different types of bone uh, all throughout our body, two different you know uh, types, which is very easy to actually remember. One is cortical bone, which is sort of the bone that has a stronger bone envelope, more heavily concentrated in our long bones, like our wrist and our hip. And then trabecular bone, which is um, more sort of spongier bone, has different sort of uh, connections and more uh, concentrated in our spine. And then actually in our oral cavity um, and the trabecular bone, which is surrounds our jaw. So, you know, again, there's not too many options. And then within the bone, we have some cells. So like you mentioned, the osteoblast, you know, just to kind of, you know, simplify it, those are the bone um, building cells, and they actually are responsible for, you know, laying down new bones, starting from newborn, um, all the way up until our peak bone mass, which is generally thought of women um, in their 20s or, you know, early 20s. Um, and then we have something called the osteocyte. Osteocytes are kind of like the nerve of the bone cell. They actually differentiate into osteoblasts, but they also kind of direct all the different proteins and then all the different, something we call cytokines, which is again, sort of markers of bone formation and bone resorption. Um, and they help all those and they derive, a lot of those are derived from them. And then osteoclasts, which are the bone breakdown cells. So you kind of got, I have a picture when I give a lecture of like the osteoclasts or like the are like the, the, you know, the wrecker cells, and they are the ones that uh, remove old bone. And, um, and so the osteoblast can come in and put down new bone. And, and really, you know, this is always happening, right? So our skin, our skeletons are dynamic, we're moving, we remove old bone, just like the analogy I give is if, you know, people like to uh, redecorate their home, I, I do not, but I know that that's important to take out the old and put in the new, especially mm -hmm. if your pillows are starting to look old or things like that. And that's happening all the time in our body. So hmm. we take out old bone, actually 10% of our skeleton is remodeled every year. So in 10 years, your whole skeleton is remodeled, which is wow. really interesting. Um, and that's where I'm sure we'll get into the interplay of this remodeling and what happens at menopause where sort of that shift between bone building and bone resorption sort of tips the balance and more bone breakdown, primarily with the loss of estrogen. And that's why we hear 
talk so much about osteoporosis in women and women are more heavily affected. And after menopause, we see an uptick in low bone density and, and fractures. Wow, that is just incredible that in 10 years, our bone is all remodeled. I've never heard that before. Wow. Yeah, there's there's yeah. your next cocktail party fact. Yeah, so. totally, right? <laughs> and and our bone should be flexible, right? Like we, you know, when you're growing up and you're in this classroom and you're a young child, you see the skeleton and it's all very hard. But in real life, our bones should be flexible. Exactly. I mean, this is actually something that we can study. You know, as scientists, we study something called the uh, finite element analysis, and we study things that, you know, how um, so a lot of our medications are, are reviewed and looking at how, you know, our bones can withstand something like a sideways fall or a sideways push. Um, and this is because we know primarily most of our fractures, our hip fractures happen from a fall. Mm -hmm. um, you know, over 60% of hip fractures are happening because of a fall. So withstanding a fall, bones withstanding those forces are, are very important. And that's, you know, where, you know, again, this is simple, but complex in some ways where, you know, muscle and bone are very, you know, correlated. And we're appreciating that more as a scientific community, I think, as we, yeah. you know, get smarter about the fact that, you know, muscle and bone have interplay, we can make bones stronger and fracture resistant. But if the muscles around them or the function of muscles around them are not, you know, sturdy, and people, people are going to fall from a standing height, well, that's not, you know, doing anyone any favors. Right. I often talk about sarcopenia or muscle wasting. And I actually just did a podcast yesterday with a doctor who specializes in a muscle centric approach to overall health and wellness and just how important the muscle around the bone and that connection between the two, how important it is to the aging process. And when you're right, we're going to definitely dive into menopause and what's going um, on under the hood in terms of our bone health, but so important to, you know, really understand what sarcopenia is. And it's that when you are crossing the street and you see someone very elderly and frail crossing the street opposite you, that's sarcopenia that when they're with the walker and they just look like you could blow on them and they'd fall over that's that muscle wasting and it has to affect the bone health right and so it's hard it's a hard to tease out right because we know that after the 70th decade of life mm -hmm. you know women a lot of seventh decade of life a lot of women are going to lose <clears> like <throat> i think it's close to 10 percent of muscle mass every decade um, and that's going to accelerate um, and so again it's sort of when we think about our treatment approaches and we're um, you know, we want to be thinking about, sure, you know, calcium, vitamin D, strength training, if we can. And, and it doesn't, I'm not talking about, you know, a 70 year old that needs to go out and like bench press. I'm right. talking about like, okay, well, how can we work on, you know, loading, you know, bone and muscle with a one leg balance? How can you do that at home yeah. or safely with some uh, exercise professional with bands and weight? So it's not a lot of that. And a lot of times these small tweaks, you know, have, um, you know, very positive impacts. I always hear from my patients, oh my God. She taught me these things and now I can do them at home and I feel so much stronger or I feel so much more able or I didn't know that I was, you know, as weak as I was and things like that, which, you know, again, it's all a lot about quality of life. And then, you know, when we have fractures, we can think about, obviously, these are, that is, it's also a quantity of life issue yeah. because hip fractures, and I, I actually am doing a podcast on this later, um, an Instagram post on this later, because, you know, it's osteoporosis awareness month. And when people have hip, have a hip fracture, that means they had you know, osteoporosis a long time ago, and they've had osteoporosis for a while, it didn't just kind of fall from the sky. And so we know that hips are cortical bone and that bone loss happens, 
you know, over decades. And so when we think about treatment of things like osteoporosis, we need to be more in the prevention rather than the, you know, treat the, the final outcome, which is, is a hip fracture for a lot of women in their 70s and 80s. Right. Which is why we're also going to talk about, well, let's just talk about DEXA scans, right? You're talking about aging and being preventative. DEXA scans, I think most health insurance companies will cover them at age 65. You know, I encourage my clients, especially if they're in their upper 40s and or, or at least 50 and over and getting, you know, in menopause to absolutely go get a baseline DEXA scan and, you know, pay out of pocket. It's 75 to $150, depending on where you are. But, you know, the, the, the information you're going to gain from spending that money is really important. Yeah. So, you know, the DEXA scan, again, is dual energy x-ray absorbiometry, which is a low risk, low radiation screening test. And exactly what, what you're saying, it's a screening test. You know, I liken yeah. it to mammogram, which, and, and we just heard from the United States Preventative Service Task Force mm-hmm. yesterday that they uh, recommend mammograms starting at age 40. Uh, they are recommending it every other year. That changes, you know, based on your, your, you know, your other societies that you're looking at. But, you know, so DEXA, it is difficult. You know, when we look at the, you know, the, the blanket re- recommendations, it's over age 65 for most women. But we know that less than 25% of women over the age of 65, when we look across Medicare databases, are getting a screening DEXA. That's very, very low. Yeah. And absolutely, there are medical society guidelines like the NAMS guidelines, which um, and, and others where they look at, okay, women with risk factors for osteoporosis, so family history of a fracture um, or osteoporosis, early menopause, which is such a big one, either surgical menopause or uh, medication-induced menopause, premature ovarian insufficiency, women on you know multitudes of medical conditions, including absorption issues, inflammatory conditions, surgical conditions that can affect um, absorption, um, and then a personal fracture yourself. So if you've had a low trauma a fracture, then you needed a DEXA as well. And so there are other indications. So it's not, shouldn't be blanket at 65. And I completely agree with you, Jill, between, you know, the time of menopause, which could be 51, but it could be even earlier for those women and 65. You, if you really buy yourself one or two risk factors, you know, again, for the screening test, which is low radiation, one one hundredth of an X-ray, the information gleaned, um, even if you just have osteopenia or it's normal, then you know you're on the right track or what do you need to improve on? And if you do have osteoporosis, then uh, if you plan to live, you know, past 80 and, and, and without a fracture, we, that really needs to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. So what is the difference between osteopenia and osteoporosis? Yeah. So osteopenia, sort of the term actually is a little bit antiquated. You know, the mm-hmm. um, the International Society of Clinical Intensitometry that kind of sets the guidelines for how we interpret and, and report on DEXA says that uh, it should really be called low bone mass to sort of more actively reflect what we're thinking about. And osteopenia and or low bone mass is really, um, you know, sort of a, a T-score diagnosis made by a DEXA um, and is really meant to reflect um, you know, bone that is, you know, degraded, but not to the severe form of, of osteoporosis where, again, the fracture risk is, is higher. So it's sort of like, I describe it as like green on the DEXA with a, which, which means a T-score is um, above, you know, minus 1.1 or minus 1.0. The sort of yellow light, if you will, is, is osteopenia or low bone mass where it's a, mm-hmm. a T-score diagnosis which is just a standard deviation from normal, so nothing fancy, of minus 
0.1 to minus 2.4. So that's again, the yellow light for, okay, you know, maybe this has been your, you know, your bones your whole life. Maybe since you're 20, you've had a, you know, low bone mass and that's just genetic or heredity, which we know is 70% of your bone mass can be inherited. So um, if your mom had osteoporosis, is, chances are you also have a low, will have a low bone mass acquisition. And then osteoporosis is a T-score of minus 2.5 or lower. We use that cutoff again because, you know, the World Health Organization, the NHANES database, when we look at, you know, all the women, and now this is looked at by different race and ethnicities, you know, a third or more women would have an osteoporosis-related fracture at that cutoff of minus 2.5. So I describe it to a lot of my patients, it's not like a cliff, you know, and minus 2.5, you just drop off into this abyss right. of osteoporosis because, again, the bone mineral, what the T-score is a reflection of the bone mineral density and the bone mineral calcium, which is really on a sort of a, a you know, a, on a continuum. So it's more important to know what the T-score and then your overall fracture risk as well. This is sort of nuanced discussion when women are in early menopause and they have, you know, a woman who's maybe 50 and she gets a screening dex and her T-score is minus 2.5. Um, many women are very emotional about that and feel very upset. And I generally, then we have to look back at what the first 50 years have looked like in terms yep. of reproductive health, menstrual health, the physical, um, you know, physical activity, calcium, vitamin D exercise, other medicines, um, like I said, family history. Um, and so again, we, there's a lot we can do, you know, even at menopause uh, for people who have osteoporosis and then severe osteoporosis, just to kind of finish out the categories is when um, women have an osteoporosis related fracture, whether that be a spine fracture, hip fracture, wrist fracture, pelvis fracture, a forearm fracture, humerus fracture, which is shoulder, um, and you have a T-score of minus 2.5. And that really is a category that lately in the, in the osteoporosis world is really, we're really trying to, um, again, capitalize on because so many of these women with fractures are not getting the treatment they need. So we think we sort of are using the analogies to things like, you know, um, uh, a myocardial infarction or, or heart attack. And, you know, it's sort of like, a, you know, a fracture is sort of like a bone attack, like a heart attack, it sort of tells you something about your underlying cardiovascular disease. And we would absolutely treat that heart attack with hospitalization and medications. And it's the same for osteoporosis. We really need to jump on that. That is not something we just say, oh, you had a hip fracture. Okay, just go to the rehab and, you know, go back to your primary care doctor, take some calcium. You know, we know that this needs to be treated more aggressively and more urgently. Yeah. So for those of you listening who have never had a DEXA scan, they it actually um, spits out this piece of paper, this report that you get to take home and you get to talk to your physician about it. And it gives you a T-score. score. There's a chart. It's very easy to read, not easy to interpret, but it will be easy to read and look at your numbers. But then you definitely need to be working with someone who understands how to um, decipher all of the information. Um, so you mentioned some of the biggest drivers of bone loss is genetics um, plays a huge role, but how much of a role does lifestyle intervention play? So, so, and we're here, we're talking about midlife women mostly. So uh, a lot of women like to go out and socially drink alcohol. You know, maybe they're not eating the best or not. They're a little bit more sedentary. Maybe they're just walking and they're not really getting in to lift weights and build that lean muscle mass we were talking about. So how much does the lifestyle intervention play? What about stress? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That? So in terms of like, you know, again, building your peak bone mass, 
um, you know, really, again, so if we're talking about a 50-year-old woman, we're going to look back. We're going to like, right, is there any periods of amenorrhea? How about childhood calcium and vitamin D intake? I mean, I'll see, see a lot of uh, women who said, oh, I was like lactose intolerant or during my childbearing or my breastfeeding years or my, my you know, baby was allergic to milk. So I just cut out all the all dairy and mm. things like that. So that is all really important. So yes, of course, lifestyle is important because uh, until we hit our peak bone mass and then even after, because we know as estrogen decreases, estrogen, you know, again, there's estrogen receptors everywhere when we go through menopause and even you know, menopause is sort of, again, just one of these snapshots in time of 12 months without a period, but the menopause transition for many women, especially women with hot, hot, they know they're going through the menopause transition, oh, yeah. right? They have hot flashes <laughs> and, and other symptoms. And, and, and the, guess what? The bone loss is happening then too. So we know, you know, the menopause transition for bone loss is generally over, you know, three to five to even, you know, sometimes seven years where, where bone is dropping. And when estrogen is estrogen receptors, alpha and beta are on the bone, but they actually decrease of estrogen also um, cause calcium to not be absorbed as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, a GI and, and gut health during that time. So there's a huge interplay. So Get ad, getting adequate calcium is very important. And in fact, our, you know, the Institutes of Medicine, which has now changed their name is uh, the National Academy of Medicine and the NIH, really looks at the recommended daily allowance for calcium for, you know, women, you know, over the age of 50. And there's a reason why postmenopausal women really should be aiming for 1200 milligrams of calcium at the lowest. Um, and higher if you have like malabsorption issues or you take steroids or, um, you know, other things where we're, we're not sure that you're getting that. So um, is, is recommended that can be in dietary calcium, that can be in supplemental calcium. Remember, there's so many calcium fortified foods now. We know vitamin D. So when we think about lifestyle things and things to do, vitamin D. Again, this has really been called into a lot of medical question lately. You know, the recommended daily allowance, at least again, by these, the NIH is 800 to 1,000 international units. Some women, again, and particularly we, you know, we live in the northern, northern, you know, we live in Chicago where protect sun is shining today, but doesn't always shine. And then even putting on SPF um, uh, with SPF eight, um, you know, sunscreen or facial moisturizer really will block uh, vitamin D absorption because vitamin D is a pro hormone that's really made and synthesized in the skin. So. Calcium, vitamin D, those are really like, I always say those are the low hanging fruit. You know, we should yeah. be able to get those, especially in the societies that we live in now. Um, you know, you mentioned alcohol. I mean, again, this is what I love so much about, you know, you know, midlife women's health is, is it all really is connected, you know, it, it's connected. So, you know, we know studies from, again, the Europeans who love to drink. We know studies from Europe, you know, have shown that women who drink more than seven alcoholic drinks a week um, increase their osteoclast, as you mentioned, as we talked about mm. in the beginning, or their bone breakdown cells. So again, that, you know, I always say, you know, keeping alcohol less than, you know, five to the upper limit is seven drinks. And then other medical societies, particularly with cancer uh, associations now, have really said that for women to drink less than two standard alcoholic drinks a week. So mm -hmm. Again, alcohol is probably not doing us any favors, um, you know, at, at midlife. And again, there's other ways to, to socialize. Then we think about exercise. Um, yes. I mean, this is an area where, you know, I would rely more on like the health, you know, the exercise professionals, because what happens in medicine is that we're not so good at, you know, giving prescriptions on and on how to exercise. And we just are not trained, unfortunately, like this. So most of my education has been just reading on my own and learning from other exercise professionals. Because in osteoporosis and bone health, it makes sense that there is some resistance exercises 
yeah. loading of the bone. But we also have to look at what's, you know, what's your, what's your baseline, right? So if you're saying, Jill, I have a lot of like, you know, women who are athletes already, and they're wondering what they can do for their bone, and they want to exercise safely, well, then that is, you know, connecting with, a, with a, you know, a physical therapist or a trainer and things like that. But the, you know, sort of the nuts and bolts are to get at least 150 minutes of, of aerobic exercise weekly, which yeah. is the basics, you're right, the basis, right. which is, again, good for your bones. I always say what's good for your bones is good for your heart. It's not mm -hmm. probably good for your mood and other things. So the resistance exercise, excuse me, that can be resistance exercise with aerobic exercise. So it could be a walk, run, it could be a jog. Some women say, oh my gosh, my knees are killing me. Probably again, estrogen receptors. We know that that is mm -hmm. our arthritis weight goes way up and inflammation goes way up at, at menopause. So if that's hurting, I do tell people do side to side lunges, take a racket sport. Now pickleball is like all mm -hmm. the craze, right, right. tennis, all these things. These are good for back and forth mo movements. There's actually even been research shown that your bone density is stronger in your wrist for women who play tennis. I love tennis, mm -hmm. my sport. So I always like, you know, to, to promote yeah. that. Um, but there are tons of classes. There's, you know, again, and there's even so much online. I mean, yeah. I have, we've had, just went through the COVID pandemic. I have learned so much from my patients about the options out there, videos. Yeah. Walk, I've done some of them. They're very hard. Walking <laughs> right. videos can be very challenging, actually. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, good options balanced exercises you know this Jill I'm sure you tell yep. this to all your patients it does not need to be also very challenging trying to balance on one foot for 20 to 30 seconds doing that while you're brushing your teeth opening your mail waiting for your water you know coffee to to be ready um, doing that right before you go to bed at night something like that to really challenge your balance you can do that with also weights and bands um, so there's there's a lot of options but trying to mix things up in a certain way even you know, again, if there's a breeder listening, woman listening over age 70 or 80, I mean, there's, there's classic stretch on PVS. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Paula B, which is, she does a lot of menopause walking videos and stretch videos. So there's, there's a lot of options um, to sort of vary things up. Yeah, there are no excuses to not be moving these days. My mom's in her 80s and she has weight days and she has walking days and she is on it every day. And you know, the day we stop moving is the day we stop really living. So I love that you're a physician and you're promoting to get out there and just move. Uh, I have a question. I want to go back to calcium supplementation. I actually get a question from a lot of my midlife women when I look at their micronutrient tests and maybe they're deficient in um, calcium and they are concerned about taking calcium supplements because of their uh, a heightened risk of cardiovascular disease. What is the yeah. connection there? And what's the connection to that with bone health as well? Yeah. So this, you know, this sort of has, I guess now, but been about a decade of, of, you know, sort of back and forth, you know, um, you know, sort of consensus on this, this, you know, this calcium conundrum, I would say. So, you know, coronary artery calcification has really been discussed more with, you know, we have the advent of coronary CT and, and obviously cardiovascular disease is still the number one killer of women. So, yeah. you know, these are, these are important things. So there's, you know, there's been some studies and then there's been some meta-analysis and reinterpretations of, you know, if women are getting too much calcium in their supplementation, right? So we know, and we've known this even from the World Health, Women's Health Initiative, that you know too much calcium is going to cause kidney stones, to, is going to cause constipation. But perhaps 
you know, excess calcium also in the supplement form really raises the blood level of calcium very high. And then that could translate into, again, seeping through and in, in, into arteries. You know, it's, there's, again, like I said, this sort of mixed research, you know, there, this is a very, you know, sort of continues to be sort of a hot topic. So, but for, for average, you know, risk cal average calcium intake, which, which is what we recommend is not getting 12 to 1500 milligrams in calcium in supplement form, but trying to get some through foods, dairy foods, non-dairy foods, fortified foods. And then I generally let, recommend most women get less than five to 600 milligrams of calcium in supplement form for a variety of reasons. Number one, we know that when the levels have been lower, the coronary calcium uh, issue really kind of is fades away. There's not such a strong association or relative risk of coronary calcification. Number two, most women can tolerate that better with less constipation, gas, and bloating. Um, particularly if women have a low fiber diet, which I think most of America does. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, trying to work on, you know, getting, you know, enough fiber, which is generally around 25 to 30 grams of fiber a day. And then calcium, again, well, if you get enough of that, you won't get the bloating and constipation. So I generally have a lot of women start with, you know, 200 milligrams of calcium, sometimes 400 or even less just to kind of see if they can tolerate it and then look at what their foods are. You know, there's some great calcium calculators. One is called one from the International Osteoporosis Foundation. Um, if you just Google IOF calcium calculator, it's incredible. It has all sorts of um, different foods and, you know, different um, sources. And it even lets you put in like the ounces or the cups and mm. things like that. And you can spit out a calcium you know, generally, you know, for my patients and even like for myself personally, I mean, I am not a counter, but I know a lot of people are. I generally say try and get two calcium rich foods a day. You know, that's if you can eat dairy or even non-dairy sources, six to eight ounces of yogurt or more, half a cup to three quarters or a full cup of cottage cheese. This is very good. Milk, so many different milks, soy milk, almond milk, rice milk, oat milk, um, you know, coconut milk is gen and coconut water generally are not fortified, but sometimes you can find some fortified brands. So, you know, the milk yeah. aisle is like burgeoning. So, you know, and just shake them. Remember, because the calcium uh, settles to the bottom. But those are great sources. Put it in a smoothie. Make hot chocolate. Um, you know, ice cream, frozen yogurt. Those things have calcium. The leafy greens don't have a ton of calcium. Again, good for a lot of other things. My patients were like vegetarian or vegan. You know. A cup of cooked kale, uh, cooked kale um, has 100 milligrams of calcium. One cup of spinach has 30 milligrams of calcium. So, you know, not a, you know, not a ton. You know, I try and sell the sardines, but most women are not going to eat some sardines <laughs> or salmon, canned salmon with bones. Although canned salmon is very affordable, I think actually compared yeah, to sometimes what, what, what we, you know. So, I think that's actually a really good option for for a lot of, um, you know, you know, calcium in different forms. Fortified orange juice. I know a lot of women are concerned about the sugar. I have not found yet a low sugar calcium, low sugar orange juice that has calcium fortified that tastes very good. I think they taste very, you know, chalky. But um, so there's a lot of options, you know, for older women or even some women like the taste of things like Boost. Orgain is another one that is, I get, I get no money from any of these companies too. Yeah, but the, the, problem with, the problem with some of these products you're mentioning, like the Oatly milks and the, uh, the, um, non-dairy milks is that they add in a lot of rancid seed oil. So I actually mm -hmm. custom make grocery lists for my clients oh. 
so that I vet all of the products out and make sure they're super clean. So we just want to make sure we're we're not sacrificing one thing for another. And those rancid seed oils are certainly not good for our bone health. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know too yeah. much about that, but I completely yeah. agree. And I think again, like you know, eating food more in its natural form is probably sure. like you know the best option yeah. anyway. But for some women who really can't, then, then you can get, you know, the calcium and supplementation and yeah. get 1200 milligrams. I mean, I have women who have undergone gastric bypass and, you know, we'll do a 24 hour urine calcium to, because really that's the best way. This is usually a common question I get, you know, oh, my calcium on my blood work is normal. So that must mean that I have getting enough calcium because right. we liken that to vitamin D, which again, 25 hydroxy vitamin D is tested you know, generally is the best marker for vitamin D stores. And that should yep. generally be, be the medical societies between 30 and 60. I generally like it to be between 40 and 60 or 65 nanograms per milliliter. Yeah, I would agree with you. not too, too much research, uh, much higher, but the calcium really needs to be either, you know, checked and you're absorbing it and you can do a 24 hour urine calcium, which helps us actually look at both what is absorbed and also renally excreted because there are some calcium issues uh, sometimes with women who are excreting too much calcium and not getting that in. And that can be a, actually inherited and can be fixed. Um, and it actually causes, is seen in about 7% of women with osteoporosis. So oh. important to do a 24 hour urine calcium collection if you're diagnosed with osteoporosis even if, you know, there's some genetics and there's some other contributors, I, I generally do that on, on all women. Well, I never really thought about that, but you touched on another really important point is absorption, right? How are women absorbing the nutrients they're bringing in, whether the only nutrients we bring in are from food or supplementation, right? And so really looking at gut health and making sure that you're not suffering from a leaky gut syndrome and that you're really optimizing your gut health at the start of all journey, right? Whatever, whatever it is, it, we could be talking about a million things besides bone health, but really optimizing that gut health and working with a practitioner to test and make sure your micronutrient status is good on all levels, like all the vitamins, the minerals, because like you were saying in the beginning of the podcast, the bone is storing vitamins and minerals and, and amino acids. And if our gut health suffers and we have leaky gut, um, isn't there something where the, like if you are high stressed, right? If your cortisol levels are super high, your body is going to steal the minerals out of your bone to balance other parts of your body, like the pH in your blood, for example, right? Can mm -hmm. you can you explain a little bit about how- yeah how the body works like that. The body's so smart, right? It knows exactly where yeah. to go to get what it needs. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of hormonal signals for, you know, balancing that, you know, calcium and vitamin D as well as, you know, bone formation and bone resorption. Mm -hmm. So you talked about, you know, some like um, cortisol, you know, we know states of excess cortisol from, you know, conditions like Cushing's disease or excess steroid, you know, exogenous steroids, mm -hmm. like from prednisone or repeated yep. IV steroids or injectable steroids. That's really a very strong determinant for and, you know, increasing the osteoclast or breaking down more bone. And it actually also affects the osteoblast or the bone forming cells. And, you know, we know exogenous steroids or excess steroids or cortisol can also block calcium absorption from the gut. So yes, there's a lot of ways that these things are all interplay, you know, something called the parathyroid hormone mm -hmm. um, in, in the gland can also, you know, when we, we don't get enough calcium in our, our bones, 
if they're again sort of going to increase the parathyroid hormone and pull calcium out of the bones. Um, and if when they chronically does that, again, our bones are going to get weaker and this imbalance is, is going to occur. So yes, there's a lot of that. And then I think we kind of fringe touched a little bit on muscle and protein. And this is another area that I think is really evolving. You know, we know that, you know, 90% of our bone is made up of collagen. Um, you know, and when we actually, there's something we can even sometimes uh, check in the blood work called the CTX, which is a marker of bone resorption. It's sort of a, the best, you know, marker we have for how much bone breakdown is going on besides the DEXA. Um, it has to be collected correctly and it has to be corrected in the fasting state and you don't, you can't take any B vitamins before uh, collecting it, but you know, collagen, protein, et cetera, this is all important again for muscle loss and preventing, mm -hmm. you know, sarcopenia and probably important, you know, again, for, for bone mass and for, you know, you know, again, elderly, you know, women or women who are, you know, you know, not eating well, or they're like, oh, I don't have to cook for myself or my husband anymore. Great. You know, uh, you know, and, and that tea and toast diet, which we do really see. So trying to get adequate protein and that, you know, again, when you ask different professionals, generally, I think the research that I've looked at, you know, is generally like one gram per kilogram of ideal, one of ideal, um, you know, body weight and, you know, ideal body weight can be calculated a different way. Mm -hmm. um, if you're over exercise, you know, if you're exercising a lot or you're bodybuilding and things like, sure, you might need a little bit more protein, but that's yeah. really a key. Um, and again, I always tell my patients, you know, a lot of the calcium rich foods also have protein, right? So that's mm -hmm. a really easy way of, of getting, you know, those things and actually not too expensive. You know, we're not telling you to go out and swordfish, right. okay? We're, these are things that can be, you know, easily, easily added in, in small tweaks. So um, I think we shouldn't forget about that as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. So I don't want to gloss over the whole menopause bone health um relationship. But when you're working with someone, since you are a menopause specialist as well, when you're working with someone and maybe they don't really understand the importance of hormone replacement therapy, that's, it might not be for everybody, but it, it certainly is for a lot of people. And someone comes in and they have men, they're in menopause. They are now diagnosed with osteoporosis by you, but they are very fearful of taking hormones, which, you know, you've already explained to us that when you lose your estrogen, you're going to lose the degradation of bone health as well. Um, so what does that conversation look like? How do you, how do you help support that, that woman? Mm-hmm. Such a good question. It's like my favorite thing to do, you know, so I, I, um, I think that, yes, I mean, that the discussion about hormone therapy and, and, and is, is generally, you know, should, you know, is generally, um, you know, initiated by, you know, by most of my patients, because most of the time women are coming, not necessarily always for bone loss, but for symptoms of menopause, right? So we know that, you know, women, 80% of women will experience menopausal symptoms for five to seven years, probably longer. Um, when we look at, you know, certain, you know, certain women like African American women have, uh, Hispanic women have more hot flashes, longer duration, um, you know, more symptomatic. And the longer you have symptoms, the longer they will persist. So it's sort of just like, oh, it's like a double whammy. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, you know, the concern with, you know, talking about bone health, in addition to menopause symptoms, is that most of our medical societies do not, you know, necessarily recommend hormone therapy for prevention of bone loss or even treatment of osteoporosis. So, 
you know, some of the more, uh, you know, midlife societies like the NAN, like NANS and the North American Medical Menopause Society do, but some of the other societies, the rheumatologic societies, uh, the uh, endocrinology societies, really, they're looking at women who are having more advanced disease or osteopenia or osteoporosis, and they're looking at the other FDA-approved medicines and not so much thinking about hormone therapy. And so a lot of our guidelines sort of like gloss over the, the fact that, you know, we know from many observational studies, many, um, you know, the largest randomized controls, you know, study of 27,000 women, the World Women's Health Initiative uh, study published back in 2002 that have now been, you know, looked at and placed in dice. Yeah. The data has been, you know, 20 year data has been published on those women that there's, you know, women who took hormone therapy for five to seven years, either estrogen alone or estrogen plus progesterone had a 30% reduction in uh, hip fractures and vertebral fractures. Those were the fractures that, you know, were looked at and that bone mineral density and bone mass was, you know, was maintained and increased actually by, you know, three to five, three to, you know, 5%, depending on what site you're looking at, the spine or the hip while women were taking standard doses of hormone therapy. And, and so, but again, for most women who we counsel on hormone therapy and, 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 and options for treatment of their vasomotor symptoms or mood or sleep, joint pain, uh, vaginal dryness, painful intercourse, all of these really bothersome and actually distressing symptoms that affect quality of life. Um, you know, I always say like bone is sort of like the, the, like the, like the plus one. It's like the, you know, it's like, oh, and it's going to help all these things. And it's actually going to pre prevent your bone loss. Yeah. So we don't yet generally think about that first. A lot of times the first treatment for osteopenia or osteoporosis in advance in women, even in their fifties is still a bisphosphonate or perhaps sometimes a you know, a medication called raloxifene. But really, for most of those women, when you ask them, there's one small or one large menopausal symptom they're having, right? They can't sleep, they're having mood disturbances, the joint pain, the vaginal dryness, they have um, cognitive, you know, just, you know, um, cognitive concerns, which we, you know, we, if, unless asked, or, you know, are not going to be reported. Right. And, and so for a, a lot of those women I talk about, again, risk benefit, and, you know, we know that the, you know, the efficacy is there from all the, you know, the clinical studies. Um, we know that, you know, bone loss will occur. It's, it's inevitable. Um, we know that hormone therapy at certain doses, even oral, transdermal, which means on the skin, estrogen. Um, if you have a uterus, you need to use a progestogen, which is um, uh, something to counterbalance the estrogen. We know that these have all been studied and really do have active, um, you know, bone, you know, bone protection. Um, as long as women have not had a, a blood clot um, in the legs or lungs, um, don't have active cardiovascular disease, meaning a heart attack or stroke, generally the timing of, you know, again, when you ask me as sort of a, a midlife woman, women who are less than age 60 or less than 10 years since menopause, which means, again, the final menstrual period, and that can be, you know, sort of elucidated in different ways, really the benefit of hormone therapy, we know now really outweighs the risk, particularly when we're thinking about women with menopausal symptoms. I think the question that we, that we still don't have answered is, you know, for prevention purposes, you know, um, particularly for like prevention of osteoporosis, you know, long-term uh, prevention of cardiovascular disease, you know, women who start younger and then progress on, there's some observational data that look favorable. We don't really have a randomized control trial looking at women who start hormone therapy in their 40s and 50s when they're symptomatic and continue into their 70s and 80s. Um, however, you know, we do know that again, when we look at the, you know, the guidelines, you know, for the menopause society is really using the appropriate, individualizing the therapy for the time that's going to be used, the dose that's going to be used. So it really does 
have, I think, an individual because we can't just look at the chronological age of a woman, as you know, from the work that you do, we really have to look at, you know, everything that's, you know, the medical history, medicines, lifestyle, um, goals, you know, of therapy, you know, before we sort of say, okay, you're 60, like, that's it, no more hormones, like we're cutting you off. And then all that good, you know, prevention and bone loss and probably the nitric oxide, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and cardiovascular benefit that we were gaining uh, is now gone, you know, is now lost because we know that when we stop estrogen, the bone particularly, like everything else, you know, 50% of women who stop hormone therapy will have resurgence of their vasomotor symptoms, hot flashes. Um, some women can taper off and feel fine after their menopause transition, and that's what their choice is fine. But we do know that wouldn't we stop it for particularly for bone related effects or bone protection that will all be lost and I see that day in day out women who say oh I took hormones from 50 to 55 and now they're 65 with osteoporosis and they say oh I wish I had continued my hormones or no one told me I was going to lose you know or no one would refill the prescription or I moved and the new doctor was scared about hormones and things like that so we, we that's the messaging that I really I love doing these things because I can talk to many women, but you can talk to more women when you, you know, reach them in a different way. And it's so important. This is why I seek out doctors like yourself who really understand the science. You you are in the science. This is what you do for a living. And then you can explain it to people who are so confused. Everybody's very confused. Uh, You know, as a health coach, one of my jobs is to help educate and direct my clients to a physician like yourself who can go get that medical intervention and have that that deep dive discussion on all these things because you know if 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 they're you don't know what you don't know right if you're going to the same doctor for 20 years and you haven't had the conversation yet you're not probably going to have the conversation and you're you're sort of in a stuck path so um right. Right. And there's a lot of evolution that, right, yeah. that's happening. Like we're understanding more about menopause. We're, you know, the American Heart Association has realized that menopause is a risk factor for heart disease, not just yeah. hypertension and diabetes. So, you know, we know that having hot flashes actually increases the arterial vascular resistance. We know that there's associations there. And, and just like we've known that menopause is going to cause bone loss. So there's a timing, you know, hypothesis for both of these things and understanding. Now, again, hormone therapy not, might not be right for everyone, but maybe you know your decks, you know your numbers, and you say, okay, I need to get adequate calcium, vitamin D, exercise, maybe down the road, I might need a prevention medicine. We have some other, you know, preventative options, um, you know, coming. We have other, uh, you know, other, you know, um, you know, professionals that, you know, that can, you can seek out, um, you can understand more about the risks, the pros and the cons of hormone therapy, you know, the menopause society, uh, menopause.org has some great resources, the bone health and osteoporosis foundation has some great resources, videos on exercise in English and Spanish. Um, we're always up, I'm updating those all, all the time, actually for them. And so this, it's really, um, you know, again, knowledge is, is power. And I think women again, need to make the right choices, not just sort of rely on maybe some antiquated models of, of care and really, um, you know, get the right information. Well, I will list all of those resources in the show notes sure. for sure, because those are going to be so valuable to the listeners here. I have one final question for you. Yeah. Of everything that we've talked about today, what are the three takeaways women who are listening to this can start today at home without seeing a doctor, without having any tests on what are three things people can, women can do today to help support their bone health? Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked a lot today about awareness. You sort of said without getting yeah. a test or without it, doing any of those things. I do think, you know, again, being, you know, May Osteoporosis Awareness and Prevention Month, I think that if you do fall into that category of, you know, women who are 50 to 65 and you do have, you know, risk factors and you can look those up online, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, at the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation, I would recommend that you get a bone health assessment and you can actually do something. We didn't dive into the FRAC score, but that's a, actually a FRAC risk assessment you can actually do that you know online this is something that we calculate also when we do a DEXA but I would recommend you do you know consider if you need a, a, a DEXA scan and find someone that uh, sounds like Jill or myself or someone yeah. you know, that can order that for you or ask your primary care doctor or find so seek someone else where you can, where you can get that um, I think that that's really important you know like you I mean there are so many good options for treatment and I talk about those all the time you know I really think that if we're thinking about you know women who of average risk for osteoporosis or menopause without any family history of osteoporosis again you know looking at your lifestyle you know lifestyle, these are things yeah. that we can do right now so these are things within your own power so you know get adequate amount of calcium we've talked about a lot of easy ways to do that that are affordable and accessible um, make sure that you know your vitamin d uh, numbers you know make sure that someone I'll, I'll see women who are so health informed or you know very smart or even like you know clinicians themselves and like no one's checked their vitamin D in five to 10 years, but yet they've gotten like a CBC every year and like, you know, their right. lipids checked every year, but you know, they could be vitamin D deficient without, and they think, oh, everything's checked on my annual test. But the reality is that wasn't checked. And then they're severely vitamin D. Do you know why I think that is? Vitamin D, most health, health insurance companies, most of them won't cover the vitamin D test. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes that's very variable. If you code it correctly though, like vitamin D deficiency, which you know, people are at risk for vitamin D deficiency or things like that. I mean, you don't need a screening vitamin D. The opposite of that is I see women who like get a screening vitamin D every year in the levels between 40 and 60, you know, or 60 or it's, they haven't changed their doses. So fine, you know, for women who are osteoporosis or on treatment, we actually need to make sure their vitamin D is normal and calcium because that is something, particularly if you're on, you know, potent anti-resorptive, something like denosumab, or you get an infusion or injection, or even the oral medications that we need to make sure that your kidney function, your calcium, your vitamin D are normal because those medicines don't work mm -hmm. as well if mm -hmm. they're not on that. And that's really, really important. Um, so again, knowing your numbers, I think is very, very important. Um, you know, again, you know, lifestyle things which are in our, you know, control, there are so many, you know, trying to vary up exercise again, where I always say exercise is an easier sell here in Chicago and May than it is in November. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, <laughs> you know, again, I, we're all very busy people, professionals, you know, a lot of women are mothers, you know, so, you know, taking care of a lot of different people. So, you know, try and get in some sort of resistance exercise. I see a lot of women who just like, oh, I'm going to get like lift a lot of weights or they're going to, you know, have time for that. You know, you can do that at your desk. You can do that, um, you know, while you're making breakfast, you can do this, you know, you know, you can add in 15 minutes of resistance exercise twice a week, um, you know, YouTube videos, you name it, that's going to make you feel stronger. Not only it's going to help your bone health, but as we didn't even cross over about talking about metabolism, but we know, you know, the most common complaint I get in menopause is I can't sleep and I'm gaining weight. No one cares yeah. about their bones. I care about their bones. Right. So, so you know, but it, we know, you know, offsetting weight loss, particularly by doing resistance exercise. And again, it doesn't need to be 
crazy amounts, but even right. trying to do that twice a week will make a huge difference in, you know, lean, lean body mass. And again, bone health is something that, you know, needs to support us over, over the long haul of menopause, which is again, not just one snapshot at a time, but really how a lot of women are living a third to, I mean, sometimes even a half of their lives in, in the postmenopausal years. So. Oh, absolutely. Well, Dr. DeSapri, how can people find you? And it was such a pleasure having you on today and such a deep dive into bone health. Um, just a great conversation. But where can we find yeah. you? Yeah, this is so lovely. Yes. Um, so um, I'm starting a, a midlife women's health a medical practice in Winneka, Illinois. Um, it's called Bone and Body Women's Health. Um, so I have a website, which is um, just the word bone, B-O-N-E-A-N-D, B-O-D-Y-W-H dot com. Um, and that's where you could learn a little bit more about my practice. You could uh, sign up if you're interested on, I will have a Hologic DEXA with um, uh, evaluation of bone strength and bone quality um, and doing some uh, lean fat mass measurements as well in my office. Um, and I'm opening in, you know, hopefully June, July time. So I'm starting to see patients very shortly. And I'm really excited about this venture and, and uh, hope to meet, you know, some of you. And do you do telehealth as well? What if people listening here I are do. not within the Chicago area? Okay, great, great. I do, yep. Yeah, I and there are DEXA scans that. everywhere. So you would just send someone Absolutely. to get their DEXA scan and you would be someone that they could consult with and have a whole treatment plan if needed. Exactly, yeah. Well, congratulations on opening your clinic. I know it's going to be, you know, being that I'm from Chicago and from the North Shore where you're located, it's going to be an amazing addition to the community uh, for all of us midlife women who are just looking to be our best in this last third to half of our life, perhaps, you know? Thank you. Yes, I'm excited. I The doors will open soon. So great. Awesome. Send, all right. I will put, in. I will link everything and put your social media up there as well. So everyone has the, in the notes where to find you. And thank you again so much for all of your wisdom and your expertise in this area. Oh, thanks for having me, Jill. Hope this helps. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.